Hey guys, welcome back to another Convicted Podcast. Today we have a very special podcast for you. Uh, we had an interview with Seth Webster, the basis of O Sleeper, and we also had Tom Schultz, the other co-owner of Convicted Printing, myself, and then Justin Hatton, our sales rep and artist endorsement rep, join us for this podcast. So we talk about all sorts of subjects. I'd love to have you hang around for the whole thing. Um, if you could, please, please, please give a like, a subscribe, a follow. It depends on which platform you're on or whatever, but we would love to see who's listening, um, and we'd love to engage however we can. So feel free to leave any comments or feedback on any anything that you learned from today's podcast. Without further ado, let's get to it. Hey, Seth, how's it going, man? I am alive. How are you? I'm alive as well. You know, keeping busy. <laughs> I'm really excited to have you here. And uh, for those of you listening uh, that cannot see it, we also have Tom on the podcast with us, the other co-owner of Convicted Printing. So I'm really excited to have everybody here along with Justin um, to be able to talk about different stuff. So with everybody listening, uh, Seth, would you mind sharing a brief file, kind of like your background, your experiences, and uh, what are you up to right now with music? My name is Seth. I play bass uh, in No Sleeper. I have been a professional touring musician for about nine years. Uh, I have I have an intro, uh, a checkered past with different bands, and it's been uh, it's been a pretty good adventure. I I would like to think. That's awesome, for sure. Like, what what bands would you say that you've uh, played with so far? So. The first serious band I was in uh, came out of San Antonio, Texas. They were called Silence the Messenger. From there, I played in Before There Was Rosalind that was on Victory Records. I'm still in To Speak of Wolves, though we're, we're kind of dormant at the moment. Um, I went on tour with Upon a Burning Body for a year. I've played some shows for My Children, My Bride. I've played with Spoken. Uh, there's a couple of rock and roll bands here in Nashville that I played in. Uh, there's a band called Foreign War that I was in for about a year and a half that we, um, it, it's a funny thing. Foreign War, just as a sidebar, is some of my favorite music that I've ever played and they never got signed. Though I, the oh. other day I was, I was going back and listening to the songs and I, it's kind of that, that feeling of the one that got away. Um, and then, uh, so did that, uh, to speak of wolves came back on and then the O sleeper thing happened in 2018, which brings us to today. Yes. And, um, just, you know, to be, to be mysterious, there's another band that I'm going to start playing with, uh, when touring resumes, that is a secret. So keep your eyeballs out for Ooh. that. Ooh. Secret Ooh. secrets. Secrets, secrets. <laughs> and uh, for those of you listening, um, also what's really cool about this session is that Justin, Tom, and I are in Fourth Teller, and we were recently, um, or maybe not too recently, several months back, but we went on tour with Emery and O Sleeper. So this is where we got to meet Seth and hang out with the guys, uh, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a five. <laughs> it was a little five-day leg run that we got to do with you guys. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, they so, were they were good dates. Absolutely, they were. So, mm -hmm. Seth, I I know that 
with being a professional musician and being on so many tours as you have been, um, if someone is interested in becoming something like that to where they're not necessarily in a specific band, but they love music, they're passionate about it, they, they love the craft of it, um, and they want to go out there and experience all of that, like, what would you suggest to anyone that's looking to do something like that? You have to be, there has to be some percentage of your persona that is a crazy person. <laughs> okay. um, and I, you know, I, I mean that in a comedic way, but, but it's more of, I remember, for me at least, uh, 20, it was 2008. I, I quit my job at the bank I was at um, and, uh, and liquidated my 401k and I just took a couple of months and it really solidified that I knew that I had to do this. I had to do it in the sense of I have to know if I can do it. I have to know if it's possible. I, you know, I had a good job. I lived I lived in a nice spot. My brother and I shared it. Like there was, there was nothing about it really to be discontent with. And I just sat staring out the window uh, at work at home. And, and I, I couldn't shake the thought of how much I just, I just wanted to play music. Uh, the idea started, I got really sick. I had pneumonia and bronchitis at the same time. And, you know, I'd sleep all day and be up all night. And I, I was watching, uh, there was a DVD thrice put out after their second record, Illusions of Safety. Um, it, it took some time in, in the space between, but there was just this moment where I was watching it and I was like, if I don't do this, if I don't live in a van, if I, if I don't give everything that I have to doing this, I think, I think it will literally kill me. Mm. I, I said what I did about being a crazy person because having the at least supposed realization that you can't live without a thing seems pretty extreme, but that's who I am as a guy. And so it must just have been the way that it, that I needed it to be communicated to me. And, and so that just the, the band I was in, uh, I started booking a tour for them with, with a, another band from uh, Austin, Texas. And the guys, you know, I, I had it put together. I brought it to them and they're like, oh, we don't think we can do that. And I was like, guys, this is a week and a half. Like, why, why not? <laughs> and they're like, well, you know, I, I said I would do this thing. And, and I just, in that moment, it began, I was like, I, I can't do this. That, that, like, I need to go. Um, and I, the Roslyn guys, I had made friends with them uh, from, from a t the first tour that Silence and Messenger did about a year before. And then we got into some semantical debate about some component of, of our production live or something. And I knew in that moment, I was like, okay, I'm done. Mm. I don't know what I'm going to do, but this band's not going to, they're not ready to launch. And so I, I need to find something to do. So I, I did all the business. So I closed the bank account. I brought them the money. I gave them keys. I had removed my name from, we practice in a storage unit. And I, I just, I was like, guys, I'm done. Here's everything. My stuff's already out of the space. Here's my key. Uh, you know, I love you dudes, but I, I but I'll see you. And 
where I'm still friends with those guys now. And it was amazing to get their take of that because they had no idea. And you, you imagine that people can read your face and see things and they, they were legit blindsided. Um, so I, I just, you know, I was making calls, trying to, trying to find other bands that were touring that needed somebody. And Roslyn had just had most of their guys quit. And so it, it worked out. Me and uh, a kid from Cleveland, Tennessee would make it so we could play shows again. And we, we toured for about a year, which the first, I think that everybody has this. I think you have the tipping point ideologically. And then I think you have the tipping point physically. And for me, that was the first full U.S. tour, which we headlined, which sucks. Mm. But it was two, it was two months long. It was in the winter. And so to start the tour, we had, there's, there's a joint in the back of, in the back of any car where the, the axle um, spins. The rear differential, I think is what it's called. So we started the, this yeah. two month long thing um, needing to like get this repacked every day. We, d we didn't have enough money. We spent, you know, we got some tour support and stuff. We spent it on merch, which if you're in a touring band, merch is the only thing you make money on. Don't, don't get it twisted. Um, but so we're, we're trying to figure out like, how are we going to do this? And we just essentially all of us left with the idea that we're just literally going to drive this until it falls apart. The, the shows were okay. I mean, you know, we were we were a pretty small band uh, for the time. I think we were probably doing like 30, 40 kids a night, depending on how good the show was. Long, long drives. Um, we made $3 a day. Now, you can't see what? me in the video, but I'm I'm six foot three. At the time, oh, at the goodness. time, I would, I would leave for tour weighing like 185. Um, and so we we get probably three weeks in and the I'm writing in the I'm writing in the back and I'm and it's funny because I was reading Matthew six uh, <laughs> but we're we're writing from Oklahoma to Texas to do a week of Texas shows that we'd found out three hours before we're all canceling at least the northern ones were canceling because of a snowstorm oh geez so as I'm no writing, one likes getting those messages. No one likes no. getting those messages. Yeah. Uh, but as I'm writing, I'm over the rear differential and I'm laying on top of it as I feel it separate. Right. So the acid, oh, no. the acid of the man hits the, hits the ground, the trailers, you know, where we have sparks flying, we get it, we get it pulled over, but we have to physically move the trailer out of the, um, the traffic out of the, the out of the lane yeah and so we get out and a piece of metal about this big shoots out the back and ricochets off the trailer uh and there's there's fire under the van i put it out oh i gosh. shake i shake up a bottle of mountain dew and i i put out the flames and then we start throwing With snow mountain underneath dew? it oh we start throwing a bottle of mountain dew what yeah, a story we start, we start throwing snow on it to make sure that it's not smoking i I put my head underneath it and I'm like, yeah, okay, it's, we're completely toast. And at this point we'd had a couple of shows, not cancel, but it'd be like the 12 kids paid kind of thing. Oh yeah. And so we had, we had no money. 
my my aunt Robbie had just given me like 250 bucks or something. She's like, I, you know, I just feel like you're supposed to have this, not knowing anything that's going on, but she had sent it to me a couple of weeks before and I'd put it aside as like my, Oh shit money. Mm -hmm. And we call a tow truck, which because we had a trailer, but the van, you know, the van and trailer couldn't stay connected for the tow because of where the damage was. Right. He had to tow the two of them. And it was a, it was, we ended up naming a song after him. Uh, <laughs> but he, I rode in the truck with him. I told him who we were, what we were doing. This dude did probably $500 worth of tow work for a hundred. And then he gave us 20 of it back mm -hmm. to buy barbecue for dinner. Wow. We, we stayed in the, in the hotel in Davis, Oklahoma for three days um, we called a guy, uh, Bryce Johnson. He was in a, he was in a band that played in, uh, Chattanooga a lot that mm -hmm. we'd made friends with. He had a 12 passenger van. We called him. We were like, Hey, we're up shit Creek. Like, do you want to come out, play guitar for us? And, and, you know, can we use your van? Like we'll pay you weekly, whatever you want. And he decided he was in. So he drove 13 hours to us, picked us up. We got the trailer. And we did the rest of the tour. That's the, the amazing component for that too, was two weeks later, he started to play shows with us and he gets a call that his dad had a heart attack while he was driving and died in the accident. Oh my god! So gosh. he flies home and he does, and he does the funeral and he comes back out and he finishes the tour. And, and so I said, you have this physical tipping point. We, we played a show in Albuquerque, New Mexico or at least we thought we would. We were friends with the guys in the Color Morale and they were gonna split their set with us at this festival, which ended up not working out. So we're sitting in the parking lot and I remember being emotionally exhausted to a point I'd never known before. And I was talking to the singer because one of the other guys in the band, you know, he, he got pretty gloomy and I, I wanted to fight him over it. And I told the singer, I was like, dude, I'm really embarrassed, but I just want a reason to beat the shit out of him. Mm. And it, you know, I was, I was like 22. So I was an idiot, but it was <laughs> the conversation we had was, dude, you just got to let him like, this is hard for all of us and everybody handles it differently. Yep. And that, def that diffused it, but it made me realize that the value of what had happened on that tour and, and what I felt like would happen before, you know, every, everything after that was, you know, how do we accomplish, how do we accomplish all the things around getting to play for 30 minutes every day? Yeah. I, I, if you've listened to all of the nonsense that I just said, I, I think that if you can imagine doing the most difficult work that you can do and then only getting paid three dollars a day for it like i lost 20 pounds on that tour i went i left 185 <laughs> and i came home like 162 or something oh my gosh go for it all right so when when i got to that space it was a real revelation about you know sort of that that camaraderie bit of you know this isn't just my this isn't just my adventure you know i'm sharing it with these guys whether you realize it or not, the amount of vulnerability that <clears throat> touring well takes.
is, is pretty significant. And so when I got home from that tour and I, I sort of took inventory, I knew that if I could endure all the things that I had to get through that, that two month tour and, and that encompassed all of those things, I felt like I knew that I, the feelings I'd had were correct. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to dedicate myself to. It feels worth it. As, as uncomfortable as we all were to that point, it was some of the best times I'd ever had. It was some of my favorite interactions to this day. Uh, two of the guys in that band at the time stood in my wedding. Um, I'm still, still close to them today. And it's awesome. It, uh, all of the things that I had hoped it would be uh, came true. And so I think that being in a band is fun. I think that if you want to do it, as I said in the beginning, I think imagine doing the most difficult work you can do. And if it's worth the time on stage, I think that it, it's worth it. I think that if you don't feel that way, that's fine too. I, I do imagine though that that's what being successful requires. I mean, you're going to sacrifice tons of life. I've missed birthdays. I've missed weddings. I've missed important life moments. I have three, um, I have two nephews and a niece there. They've been, uh, traditionally they've been about a year old before I meet them just because of, you know, whatever thing I'm doing and, and it's difficult and you sit back and sometimes you feel like maybe you're not, placing emphasis or time in the right places. Uh, yeah, I've been married. Uh, this is our, our fifth year. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife is the, you know, the most supportive person, uh, save my mother that I've had in my life. And she has sacrificed. We were, we were laughing. We, we go for hikes. Uh, we try to go like once a day and we were talking and realized that We've been a couple for seven years and this is the longest time consistently that we've spent together. Yes, that can definitely happen. And that can happen in anything that you're pursuing, kind of like to go back to what you were saying about um, if you want to be successful in whatever it is that you're trying to do, sometimes it takes that sacrifice. Sometimes it takes that harder work than you even think it was before. Yeah. I would, I would argue that being in a band can, is definitely a harder thing than a lot of things are. Um, and so I kind of would like to ask and like go a little bit further on the topic of like you were mentioning, if you don't feel like that's a good fit for you, like what, what happens if someone is in a band, they get to a point where they're doing on tour and they really just aren't enjoying that. And maybe they feel miserable. What would you say, uh, for that person, like, what should they do with that? Well, that's an interesting thing because my, my disclaimer for myself is that I am unequivocally all or none. Uh, and so I, I would be able to empathize with that person, but, but I would say to them to start at my explanation, my problem is I don't know what else I would do. So it, to be bummed in the midst of it, you know, outside of the symptom of like this dude's doing heroin and, you know, it's things like that are, you know, they can really be the trouble that you get in on the road. Um, but I think that if just in general, you're done with it, guys 
have negative responses, but, but I, I would, I would say that's immature. I think that again, with the motif of a journey, you know, not everybody's going to do it their whole life. I mean, realistically, you can probably think of five bands off the top of your head that keep making music, you know, past a decade, keep making music past 20. Um, and, and you know, their names, because they're the only ones doing it. You know, there's 340 million people in the U.S. alone. Mm -hmm. That is a minuscule percentage in, in comparison to humans at the grand scheme. And so I think that in that moment, you owe it to yourself not to feel guilty that you feel that way. Uh, you know, I would encourage you to examine it if it's, you know, is, is that discomfort cosmetic? Is it because of, you know, something relationally in the van at that time or is it really it's you know the candles kind of burned out are you done with meeting people every day and and having them tell you about how you know the things that you do matter to them so much are you done you know being around guys that are impulsive and and spontaneous and and do weird things you know it, it, one of my favorite memories uh, we we played a show in Virginia somewhere in To Speak of Wolves, and we were staying at a friend's house, and we we're like, let's let's go, you know, let's go get a drink, let's go to a bar, and it's like nine o'clock on a Saturday or something, and so we're like, yeah, the bars will be open. We went to four bars that wouldn't even let us in because they were closing, and we're like, dude, it's nine on a Saturday, and they're like, yeah, nobody nobody hangs out. <laughs> we oh. found we found a bar. <laughs> And so we all bought like four drinks at once because they're like, yeah, we're closing in 10 minutes. And we're just like, what is happening? <laughs> and so, you know, we, we had some drinks, but everybody was, everybody was still, you know, in their, in their right headspace. But the, the fun of that evening ended up being, we, we ran, you know, through the streets of downtown in this, this little itty bitty village type thing and ended up going to a playground. <laughs> and it just, I, the thing to me that was so compelling about it was, you know, that was the tour I was on for To Speak of Wolves to decide if they would keep me or not. And so I just was really trying to take in all the things that I was able to experience. And imagine being, you know, I think I was like 25 at the time or something, that my life was running through the streets in some you know, East Jesus town of Virginia with, you know, with the people that I would have called my best friends at the time. And, you know, they too, like, they're, they're still some of my favorite people. But I think that if stuff like that loses its luster, uh, and again, I don't mean this in a condescending way, but, but I think that your time might be better spent at home. You know, being with your, being with your people, being with your family, whatever it is, because it's, it's not for everybody and it's definitely not forever. I think mm -hmm. that you owe it to yourself to, you know, ride the ride until it's time to get off. And, and I say that because I, you know, I'm sort of constantly looking in the mirror trying to evaluate, you know, it's like, am I, am I not being honest with myself? And, and so taking that inventory consistently, I, I still feel like I have, I have some things left to give, but 
it's hilarious to, I turned 34 this year. It's hilarious to be on the older side of touring mm-hmm. and still, you know, and still doing it. So I think that the more honest you are with yourself in those potentially painful kind of moments, the, the better, you know, from a mental health standpoint, you'll be. So yeah. You, and I, I think, mean, go ahead, Justin. Oh, I was going to say, I think like people don't, unless they're in a band, like, like the four of us, the stuff that you're saying, we're like, oh yeah, yeah, we've had that happen, or oh, we know someone that's had that happen, so like that. I feel like people that are not in the music community don't understand, like, because the only part that they see is like the 20, 25, 30 minutes that you play on stage, and yeah. they're like, that looks awesome, like I would love to do that. But they don't understand the oh, everybody needs to put in twenty bucks for gas because we drive a van and it takes a hundred bucks to fill this thing up. Like no one understands that besides people who tour so i think like you bringing that up is awesome well and and, you know it's as you say that it's such a good thing to think about because you know i'm in a place now fortunately where i'm playing in bands that we don't have to do that you know Mm -hmm. we fortunately our guarantees pay for gas but for the majority of my career we didn't make like when we finally and to speak of wolves when we got to where our guarantees paid our per diem and and paid for us to travel we were like yo this is the best because mm-hmm. all of us were going home and working other jobs and saving you know two or three hundred bucks four hundred bucks up to just go on tour mm-hmm. and it wasn't like oh this is money i'm gonna have fun with this was like this is in case everything falls apart and i have to catch a bus home or mm-hmm. uh you know the to speak of wolves got mm-hmm. on scream the prayer in 2013 2014 I can't I'm terrible with dates but it we're doing that tour we're doing the second leg and then we're going out with Emery and my children my bride up the west coast we're gonna have to drive 24 like 24 hours and two days to get to New Hampshire to do festivals and it was our CD our CD release tour didn't go the way that it was supposed to and we ended up doing something kind of small so we were already doing less than we had projected for the year. So we do scream the prayer and we play this day off with Emery and Baton Rouge and this kid hits our van. He's like, dude, it's my mom's truck. I don't, you know, I don't have insurance on it. Can I just give you guys cash? Well, none of us are mechanics, but we look it over and we're like, Oh, I mean, everything looks fine. Like he took a headlight out. It's cool. And I talked to him and I'm like, dude, just, you know, give us 400 bucks or something. We'll call it a day. I don't know why. I think that number was like what we had left on the merch bill or something. And, and the kid was like, okay. And he gave us 400 bucks. Well, what we didn't know was that he hit our radiator and damaged it enough oh, that metal no. shavings would eventually get into our transmission. We have to drop off, scream the prayer, gauge quits, and it's just dead. And, and so all of, all of that happening the way that it is, is those are the things that start to become like, you know, this is what's going to happen. So we have to have mm-hmm. money in the bank. And so the, you know, even just the crossroads of that, like bands like you guys, you're, you're in the place where you're losing your ass every time you go out on tour. Like we, we joke in my house, um, my, my secret to living through all this and, and not having mounds of debt or being in a terrible place financially has literally been, I have no bills. 
when I was touring, I paid a cell phone bill and that was it. I sold mm -hmm. my car. I lived with my mom. Like there, I just had nothing. And the guys that do that to me, I feel like that's the proving ground for, and not everybody has to go through that phase, <clears throat> but that's really the proving ground. I think to, you know, to extend the idea I think that's when you like you bleed for this. Is it really that important to you? And I feel like that informs the value of, of the art that you're making, or, you know, you would hope that it, that it does because you're so you're, you know, you're bet, you're betting everything on your own number. Right. You're willing to give up almost everything. So let's, let's sit on that for a moment because I would definitely argue that almost anyone can pursue any dream that they have. The question is how willing are you to give up whatever is needed to do that? And you don't have to give up necessarily everything. It's not necessarily that you have to give up all your time with your family or give up all oh, free sure. time or anything like that. But like what you were saying about bills, like people spend money all the time on things that you just don't need. We can constantly be saving from spending money on this thing. It can be the great value brand. For example, just to save a buck every time you buy an item or something. Uh, mm -hmm. Or maybe you could not eat as much as you eat. <laughs> or maybe well, you don't yeah. need the newest iPhone or whatever. No, absolutely. And I, I think that if you think of life way, a lot of people go to college, like my wife. My wife had her master's at 23. She was a fucking machine in college. <laughs> Her, her senior year and then the year that she did graduate school, she convinced the dean to let her take like six more credits a semester than you're supposed to be able to. I mean, she was oh a God. fucking machine. She oh talks about, and she show, she'll casually tell you the story of like, yeah, I think I slept like two or three hours a night when I was in grad school. And I'm like, fuck that. Fuck school, <laughs> fuck it. But she's like, no, it was great. Yeah. And granted, the time that I spent in college was really uninspiring. But the parallel was, I've done the same thing on tour. You know, Justin, you made the the comparison. Like, people don't know that if you, at least if you're someone like me, this is definitely not everyone's experience. But if you're not like me, you're in a band with someone that's like me, and it's like he's always driving, he's always doing something. He goes to bed after I do and he wakes up before I do. And that's just how I'm wired. And so mm. I don't have a complaint. But when I'm on tour, I work like 18 hours a day. And I wouldn't have it any other way. At least 18 hours at a time. I mean, the way that, you know, days sort of shift into each other. But right. if you <laughs> right. could, you know, I'll do that happily over going someplace I don't want to be for eight hours a day. And, you know, that ends up having such a big influence on it as well. And, and so the, you know, the industry to not, I, I would say too, because I've had a conversation that's gone this way as well several times. Mm. None, of, none of it matters. Nothing disqualifies you ever. You just decide. And I think that really the practical idea of making a decision is the defining line. If you say, this is what I want to do, I think that you become a student of it. You let it envelop you. And, you know, you field whatever comes. And if that's your attitude and disposition, I think that you can be successful. I think that if you're looking to be comfortable, that's probably not going to be the way that it happens. It does happen. There are anomalies. But 
if you're thinking uh, to prepare yourself for the median experience, it's going to be a lot of driving, a lot of boredom, a lot of, I don't have money to buy more than one taco right now. Yep. So I'm just not going to eat because my stomach will be more pissed off if I only eat one taco than if I wait until tomorrow and I can Why eat. did you tease me? No, really, it's funny. The, that that two-month tour, so the, the drummer, Luke, worked at a Mars factory in Cleveland, Tennessee, and we brought- Like the candy four, bar place? Yeah. We brought four boxes of Twix, two different kinds of M&Ms, and like Reese's peanut butter cups or something. Uh, and I shit, I, I shit you not, <laughs> every day was I will pay a dollar for the giant coffee at a gas station and I'll eat candy three times a day. Oh, and then the next gosh. day, and then me. the next day I will have, I, I will have saved up $6 <laughs> and I can buy a meal at Taco Bell. The singer of the band at the time <clears throat> didn't buy food. He only ate candy and spent his per diem on cigarettes, which he had to save up three days worth to buy a pack of cigarettes. Wow. And so it's just like, if they're you filling, I hear. <laughs> Say again? I said, they're filling, I hear. You know, just well, smoke a cigarette. Yeah, it's I mean, like a whole meal. Yeah, exactly. I've heard, well, Nick, it's a hunger suppressant, so. Yeah. Well, and so those are the things that like, is that the way to live for a long time? Hell no. But if you believe in something and you're willing to, you're willing to take on that level of existence. Um, I, that gives me the impression that you, you have the goods over. I try really hard not to have a bad attitude, but I was a military kid. My dad was a hard ass. There was no time to complain there was only time to do. And so when I've been on the road with guys that get whiny, I'm like, man, you need to get the fuck away from me. Cause I don't, I don't, I don't understand your existence right yep. now. Like I can't. And, and it's funny. I, you guys maybe will agree to this. I try desperately. Well, desperately is not fair. I try with a lot of energy to be accommodating and friendly and and just helpful to everyone that's who i want to be and so i'm always grateful when i get to do it but if you ever see me disappear for a while it's usually because i'm like man i i can't be around you without without me sitting you down and and having to come to jesus talk with you so i'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna go over here <laughs> well i mean like everyone has such different backgrounds that maybe oh, they, absolutely. they um i guess the word might be privileged or entitled, but it's not even like they're intentionally being whiny at that point. Like they don't even like, oh, totally. they're not even self-aware <laughs> that they are, are doing that or whatever. Well, they're, they're under duress. I mean, you know, this is getting real psychology on it, but when I'm, you know, everything, everything boils down to our reptilian brain and it's fight or flight. And so when I get afraid, of whatever it is, whether it's ideological or physical, when I get afraid, my response is anger. I'm going to puff my chest out. I'm going to pull my shoulders back. And I'm like, look, if we're going to go. Let's go. That's not everybody's response. And that doesn't mean anything about me other than, you know, I'll probably get my ass kicked before somebody else will. But, uh, <laughs> but, but as you understand that about yourself, it, it is, 
again, I have the ability to empathize. I maybe can't have a dialogue for very long, but, but I get <laughs> that when you're, you know, when you're sort of pressed out all the way, you know, nobody, nobody responds well in that until they learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. And so when you're, you know, when you're in your early twenties, like none of us are good at it then you'd say dumb stuff, you do stupid things. And really your ability to apologize, in my opinion, is the name of the game for longevity's sake. But, but yeah. And you know, when I said that again, it's, I'm still not very good at articulating it maybe, but there's value to what they're saying because when you're the workaholic type, like I am, you neglect yourself and you, without knowing it can make the situation much worse for everyone else because while they're willing to deal with like, man, I don't want to do this anymore. You're like, there is nothing else. I, I don't need to think about it. I know the answer. I will get to the end of this, even if it kills me. You can't always ride. Sometimes he's just going off the cliff, you know? Mm-hmm. I think something might have changed with your mind. Oh, you know what? I lost second. audio. Hold on. <laughs> Do those have a charge? Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, cool. Yeah. My headphones died. I guess I talked for too long on them. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if that's what was going on. Um, what was the last thing you got? Uh, the last thing that we heard was, um, oh gosh, what's the last? I was trying to think of the wording for the sentence. If one of you guys got it, let me know. <laughs> nope. You didn't hear anything. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it, forgot. it just transitioned right away. So, yeah. Um, so, like, well, did, you were yeah, having empathy for others. It's hard to have a dialogue. Uh, oh, sometimes. But it's hard for me to have a dialogue. To me, I think, though, that the, the workaholic bit, you know, you, you can't oh, always. Others can suffer from it. Yo, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and yes. I think that, too, you, know, you, you can't always, you know, you can't always stay in the same car with that guy because he is just going to drive off a cliff. And, and so there's, there's value in the different personalities in the van because I, you know, I've never done this, but looking back, you know, maybe there were some tours that we should have just gone home from, but we didn't, um, you know, there was that the Rosalind and this ended up being the last tour that I did with them. We had this summer thing that we're going to be gone for 30 days and there ended up only being 13 dates booked for it, for us. Oh God. And Yeah. And, and so, you know, the, the booking agent took care of the headliner, but the rest of us, there were three other bands. Um, one of them, because of it, just dropped off. Like, they did the first two shows, and they're like, dudes, our, they had some band trouble, and they were like, we're, we're just going to go home. Uh, and then for us, because we had the ability to, Rosalind booked, we probably booked 12 of our own shows. Hmm. And so, you know, the, the dates that were empty, we, we start doing that, and one of the bands was from Australia. And so they're like, Hey, you know, can you do anything for us? And we're like, these were already booked. Um, you know, nobody communicated anything to us about you guys. So we can, we can try to work out that you can get gas money, but it's probably going to be playing to sell merch. Um, and you know, three or four shows in there, there started to be some friction over it and, and we kind of had to have it out, uh, in, you know, in someone's driveway. And we were just like, look, you guys aren't our responsibility. This tour was booked like garbage. And uh, 
we said yes, so we fixed it. And, you know, if you guys want to play these shows with us, great. But we, we can't guarantee you anything. We're hardly making any money. Um, and you know, that's, that's difficult to do. Like, hey, we're going to hang out every day for a month, but no, we can't pay you. And yeah, we know you're fucked, but we don't, you know, we don't have the baby wipes for you. Like, it, uh, again, you know, your ability to have a conversation and, and maneuver and negotiate and things like that end up being so important. Um, right. And at that and, point, it, it sounded like you needed to be able to let them know, like, what the options were and just let them choose for themselves. It's like, no, absolutely. you, know, well, you and, can and go home, me, you can come with us, but here's what you get if you do. Yeah. When, and that's, it was, again, you know, that, that thing of, like, to me, in hindsight, I think that's a tour we shouldn't have even taken, but we did. And when we realized what was happening with it, I think that we should have gone home because the band broke up after that. Now in the moment, I was like, we're just going to do it, man. We'll play these whatever show. Like, and so in, in hindsight, we could have said no and maybe live to fight another day. So, I mean, there, again, it was all just to articulate, you know, there's value in both sides uh, or, you know, there's multiple ideas, obviously, but right to me the of the duality i think of it like sometimes it is worth being like yeah this is this is bullshit let's stay home it's all in your ability to adapt too because you guys are like yeah we're gonna do it we're gonna adapt and we're gonna book our own shows and like yeah and that's what you did you filled 12 other dates but like their their response was oh we're just not gonna adapt and hope someone does something for us and it's like no you can't like do that you have to mm-hmm. either go home or like figure something out because we've yeah. had to do that too there's been tours where i've been like oh well i guess i'm booking half of this tour at least by myself and we yeah. have a booking agent for it but it's like that's just what happens it's just you have to adapt for it sometimes tours are crap sometimes they're great so one you know that brings me to a good place for when when you guys asked me to do this episode which i i'm always so happy to to be in these kinds of situations because talking about the important things of life, I feel like is really the only thing that's worth talking about. But when, when bands think of what success is before, you know, before they're signed, uh, things like that, bands are like, okay, we have to write good music. And that's true. But I think of it like it's your ice cream shop. And in the end, nobody gives a shit that you make ice cream because you couldn't be an ice cream shop if you didn't. But what do you do to get them in the door? What makes going to their ice cream shop better than their competitors? What do they do with the ice cream that other people don't do? And so instead of that thing that kind of naturally comes from us as a kid, is like, oh, I can play my instrument. Oh, I can write a song. I can sing, whatever. You think that that elevates you to a place of, of making a space for yourself when in reality, it just makes it so you can play the game. And so then, you know, you, oh, yeah. you do things, your, you do things yourselves and there's lots of conversations with younger guys that are like, dude, we just need to get a manager. We just need to get signed. And the reality is those guys have no reason to pay any attention to you until you're profitable on your own. Yeah. There's the idea of, or the perception of potential, but in reality, if they don't think they can make money off of you, they're not going to work with you. And if you're worth making money, then that's equity that you have in yourselves. And so like Justin's ability to book half a tour on his own, to me, that's the equity that you actually have. 
-hmm. your ability to print your own merch. Like that's equity that you have that no one can take away from you. And so when you go on a tour, you're a traveling business card instead of we're an entity that requires four other entities to function. That business model right. doesn't work for anybody. So if you as a band want to play your songs live every night, you learn how to book shows, you find a way to print merch super cheap or do it yourselves. You learn how to engineer your own pre-pro at least, maybe even you get to where you can do your own record. Everything about being a successful musician is finding a way to operate efficiently like any business. You cut costs, you find places that you can do things, the quality that's necessary, and it ends up becoming part of your signature instead of a detriment. Like that's the kind of development that if, in my opinion, if you want to be a professional musician nowadays, that's absolutely what's required of you. Because if you, like right now, I, I feel like a pretty common deal is you sign for your first record and it's going to have something ridiculous, like five options after it. Because if you are worth a shit, they want to keep their hands on you. So you do one record that they give you like $2,500 to do from start to finish. You don't have any money to, to feed yourself. So lots of times, you know, you're going weekends or you're doing something like that. You put a record out that they spent 2500 on and, you know, you can do the easy math of selling enough at 10 bucks a pop or, or whatever you decide to do. That's not factoring in the production of the CDs themselves. It's not difficult for them to make back 2500 bucks if you're worth anything. Maybe you sold your publishing and got a little bit of money, but maybe you didn't. And, and so you do that. And if you do well, they recoup and they have you on the line for five more records. And maybe it was terrible. Maybe you had to work with an engineer that didn't listen to anything you had to say. And he ultimately made the songs what he wanted, which made you something that you're not. From the get go, mm -hmm. the projection of your band is something that isn't even you. But now you're stuck with it because first impressions are everything in music. Very rarely is an artist allowed by their fans to rebrand themselves and so if you're not thinking from the beginning of how to separate yourself and and moreover need the fewest number of outside people possible i think that you're setting yourself up for failure and that sounds really really dark maybe you know, oh, there are guys that sounds guys, real there are guys yeah. that make their way out of it but i think to me that the attitude, especially now, has to shift away from you don't need a record label. What you no. want to have a situation is where a record label is like selling themselves to you. We want to pay you this much money and we will give you this. We'll have this person doing media. We'll have that, you know, and, and the ways that you have someone tack on that actually adds value instead of, you know, being a pilot fish and just eating off of what you're already doing. Yep. And um, uh, this is a conversation I've been having with several people recently. It's just like, I feel like moving towards the direction of like what you were saying is like, you don't have to have these certain things as a part of what you're doing as a band, as an artist. Uh, I feel like no one outside of who is in the band is going to care as much about is, what the band is doing and the direction they're going and the mission and the vision of the band, because the band itself, whether it's, whether you want to call it a business or an art has its own mission and vision that it's trying to accomplish. 
And like, if you have those other influences, like the engineer that would maybe change things up in a direction that you don't want and you don't get to say something about it because it's the record label paying for it versus you paying for it, or you going and working with someone, you know, or even better yet, like you said, uh, about if you can do it in house, which I know that not everyone can, because it takes a lot of effort to be able to do it in house and make sure it's really good, but at least you can do the practices before going to the engineer or the producer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely think moving towards independent can really set the band up for success, but it takes a lot of work. If you're willing to put in the work, you can really see something happen and you can do what you're happy with. Sure. You know? When I think too that there, there are two ideas warring against each other conscious, constantly. And I think having patience we're so inundated with immediate gratification that, so I, I actually, from, from my vantage, I think that you guys are in a great place. You're business owners. You have control of, of the physical things that you sell. You have control over, if you have 2,500 bucks and you can engineer everything to mastering and you can send it to a guy who can master it in two days and he'll do it for a grand, you have a good shot at that sounding cool. You're doing it all yourself. Maybe you have a couple of different people with ears. I feel like that's best case, but you know, it's really easy to be too close to the operation. So I feel like that's a situation that's good, but when you're at the mercy of it completely, you can't you know, just from, from the, the practical terminology, if you don't have control of the stems, like it's, it's going to be out of your hands. But, mm -hmm. but the point that you made is paramount. And, and has to be the, the middle pillar of everything you do is no one cares more than us. And, and as you filter what that means and what that looks like, I think that when you do start adding people to your team, and when I say adding, I mean even like when you decide that you're going to have a cinematographer come out on a tour, sit them down over a cup of coffee and ask them what's important to you. And don't give them any context. Don't tell them what you want but ask them what's important to you and get in the habit of before you give away your tells, ask anybody that you're going to work with what's most important to you and weigh that because even if they're trying to sell you a line, you're going to have a better idea of what you're getting yourself into. And you don't have a, this is the guy that we do this with until you know that they have skin in the game like you do. And the times that that's been the situation have been much better than the times that it's not. And simultaneously, there's never the perfect situation. You'll hear older bands that have like a, a significant discography talk all the time about how they've never done a record exactly how they wanted. And you're like, man, how's that possible? You guys wrote some of my favorite songs and they'll pick apart the record that's your favorite. And you'd be like, wow this thing that changed my life, this thing that walked me through this dark season of, of time, they're bummed about because mm. the snare sounded this way or whatever. And in realizing the humanity of that, I think as a fan helps the, you know, understanding that these are people too. And as an artist, it gives you a space to never, never being happy. I think, with what your art is never feeling satisfied maybe is a better way to say it i think that that can be the most valuable thing in your arsenal because if you feel like you've arrived 
you start reading your own press clippings, you start believing things that people that don't really have an understanding of what it requires to do what you're doing inform the way that you feel about yourself and you start looking really funny in the mirror. And so I say that to say the time that it's taken me to get to where I am, I believe wholeheartedly the development was necessary for me to have the capacity to operate because we've all seen guys that this lights them on fire and blows them off the counter when they're ash. And we, you know, we've lost a lot of people that had some great things to say to that. And so I think that to take it back to where I began, I think that you guys have each other, you're adults, you're married, you have a better idea of understanding taking another person into account mm. with, with your marriage. I think as a business, you, understand the value of the smart decision over the impulsive decision yep. and as a band it will take you longer potentially but when you finally get to where because everything has been on your own terms to this point when you finally get to where your opus comes out nothing can be taken away from it because you got there 100 percent <clears throat> well, so, so as, we, as we made it to the topics that we did, Justin, what is the thing that you can do for your band? Um, first of all, I think the most valuable thing that you can do for your band, especially when you're starting out, is just be able to contribute to the band's overall sound as far as whatever your instrument is. Because there's so many bands and people in bands that like are like, oh, I want to sound like this, but their band does not sound like that. And they try to incorporate that into how the band sounds. And they just kind of end up sounding like a too heavy pop punk band that's trying to do what they remember did, but can't really do it. Or they're just like this weird other thing. So number one is be able to contribute where you need to contribute in a band with, as far as your instrument goes. And I think another thing that's like after you get past that is definitely able to book or able to like be able to promote like your own shows outside of your area and just be able to research those areas, be able to book your own band outside. I think that's super important to be able to do because like you're saying, you need to be able to be marketable. And if you have no skills for your band outside of we can play our music, then you're not marketable because you're just doing what every other band can already do. And then I would say the other thing is just to be able to have a good understanding of the music industry as far as um, just what to do and what not to do. Like just simple stuff. You don't have to be able to have like, oh, I know how to look up the billboard charts and I know exactly how to get on billboard. I'm not saying you have to do that, but just have like a basic understanding of that, you know? Well, so I have two questions. So when you, when you talked about having something to contribute to the sound, do you think that that's something that you have to be cognizant of but also move out of the way and allow it to happen itself organically or do you think that it's something very methodical and surgical that you can make a decision and then everything sort of revolves around that nucleus and and you refine it until it's at the level that you think it should be I think it's kind of a it's weird. I think it's kind of a mixture of both because you can be like, oh, it's like it just comes natural, but it's like it still doesn't sound, it sounds like all over the place. But there's also like you can be too mathematical and then it's just cookie cutter. So I think there's definitely a, like a mixture of the two and there's a common ground where everything like 
comes into play. I think you have to start out kind of organic just to see like where everyone kind of wants the sound to go. And then you can be like, okay, well, we like this and this kind of mixes with what everybody else is doing, but this one thing doesn't. So let's throw that out or maybe let's see how we can incorporate that. I think you have to kind of use both personally. Have you, have you had any happy accidents that have been aha moments? Yeah, um, actually, um, on this album that we haven't put out yet that we're still trying to figure out when we're going to put it out, um, I was in the studio with Austin Coop by myself. And we were in there, and I, like, I was playing this one part in the song, and I was like, and Austin was like, I really don't like how that sounds. And I was like, neither do I, but I don't know what else to play. And so Austin just kind of hit two power chords and I was like that's it that's what we're gonna do and like it was something that we had never like experimented with in our band at all and we were like well we're just gonna record it and we'll send it to the guys and see what they have to say and the first person that reacted positively to it was Tom and Austin was like okay if Tom likes it then everybody else likes it we're just gonna go with it so that was like the only <laughs> thing that was like the only time like, like not the only time but one of those times that like sticks out the most for me for sure Cool. Well, then the second thing that your your statements made me think of is having an understanding of the music industry is definitely valuable. But if you're if you're not in it yet, and I use that term loosely, how do you go about gleaning a real understanding? Because I remember it all feeling very hypothetical, except for the sphere that I had existed in until that sphere got bigger i think there's um what i've been doing recently and i wish i would have had this when we kind of like first started or i would have known about it when we first started out was i've just been listening to and it sounds dumb because we're doing one right now i've been listening to a lot of podcasts as far as like just people in the music industry that are higher up than where i am right now um like there's one that just came out recently called metal Chord nerds and i've been listening to that a lot i think it's like sean mott might have been the one that came out with it. I can't remember, but there's like a bunch of like booking agents and managers that have been a part of it. And like, they've been talking about things that I'm like, oh, I'm going to write this down. And when the music industry isn't completely shut down, I'm going to try to in- implement this. Like, I think it's seeking out what people at the next level are doing that you're not doing and seeing if it's like working for them. If they're, and if you're like, oh, this is working for them. Maybe I should try to do that. Or maybe I should get my, my, my foot in the door of this area i think there's so much information that we have now for people who are starting bands that we didn't when we were like younger that it's like okay well i can just like listen to what a what another person's saying on this podcast or read what this person has said or i can just dm this person on instagram and maybe they'll respond to me and then we can have a conversation about it so No, I think I think that's good. I I love that you center most of your ideas around balance because I I personally believe that is where you win. Polars are nice conversation pieces, but I think that especially in this because there's so many personalities both in the band and then you're at the mercy of your audience. I think that accepting that no one really has complete control um mm-hmm ends up, at least from my experience, I feel as though it ends up making success feel like success because you 
do your due diligence, but then there's also the, this is just happening. You know, you know, the metric pieces that you move to accomplish it, but then it, it gets to be a movement as well because people are accepting it instead of it being like a plus B equals C, you know, there's some, there's some letters in parentheses that, you know, nobody tells you what they are. They just sort of happen. Yeah. And I hate math. So I'm going to move on past that subject. I gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) So what what about you, Tom? What do you, what do you think about stuff and things (laughs) about about being in a band? I know that you you don't have a lot to say and, and write really well and concise and make me jealous because I hate, putting anything of substance on the internet yeah tom's really quiet all the time all the time yeah never said yeah. much <laughs> yeah i don't have a lot to say um so as far as being in a band i don't know we went through a lot of stuff like anything in particular i know we were talking about like what's most important is that of interest or um i don't know um because i guess like on all this i kind of almost going back to what we were talking about regarding like uh being in a band um and just kind of like i think it goes hand in hand with like what's most important uh plus also kind of like a commentary on like touring and stuff like that um is it you got you got to really like i think being able to know yourself um and know your tendencies um and know like what your interests are i think that's one of the most important things to bring to a band um not necessarily in terms of the application of like, oh, I, you know, I'm really good at my instrument and that's what I bring to the band or I have, you know, um, I can do this thing proficiently or whatever. Um, I think like even before that, there's, there's an important um, element of like being able to know yourself and being able to know uh, like what makes you tick, like what makes you, um, like what drives you. And that way, because like the thing is, you're not necessarily going to be because then at that, at that point, once you start contributing or once you start like being asked to contribute, you're going to find where you're going to know what you can do and where like you're best going to serve uh, as opposed to kind of when we've had band members, you know, we've gone through this, uh, you know, throughout the, our whole thing. And I've seen other bands do it. And, um, you know, you kind of get like, you don't really know what your own, like who your own person is. So you get like plugged in the band's like, oh, well, we need you to do this. You know, and it ends up not being a really good fit. Uh, and it's like, well, you know, and maybe that, that, that creates tension too. Cause it's like, well, this person, you know, they're doing this, but they're miserable doing it. And they didn't know themselves enough to know that, like, look, I can't do that thing. Um, and so it ends up tension where there doesn't necessarily need to be um, for the simple fact that, you know, people didn't stop and analyze who they were and like what they're good at uh, or what they want to do to be able to like, create boundaries be like you know here's my here's where here's where i can contribute here's where i'm just i'm not good at it or i have no interest you know so it's not gonna that's not somewhere that i can um really put any energy into uh and i can try or maybe i can like do it for a time but like it's not gonna be sustainable me staying here you know and so Mm -hmm. just that simple fact of like knowing yourself and like reanalyzing yourself um you know because over the past few years i've gone through changes myself and there's stuff i was i was capable of and wanted to do that now like i just can't um or you know have no interest in um and it's like you know i've had to 
you know, have different conversations and be like, Hey, there's just some stuff I'm just not, I, I don't have the, the passion or capacity for. Um, and so I do have this and let me, let me put my energy into these things uh, and be able to like, this is where like, I'm going to be able to really make it happen for the band, you know? Um, and so I think having that sense and like constantly, you had mentioned it, like reevaluating yourself um, and knowing who you are and what, you're what you're capable of and what your interest is in so you can continue like contributing in a meaningful way as opposed to just kind of like uh doing it because you have to or Mm. you know feel obligated or something like that well have you experienced because to me the the balance of like you said you know there's some self-realization from the gate but then if you're actively making game time decisions in your mind about how you feel about yourself have you experienced a, a time of feeling really ambiguous about it? And if you did, what was your response in terms of your interactions with the other guys? Um, so the past, it's actually been really, really interesting for me. Um, so I'm like, I've been really, so I've written the, the lyrics for our band um, since the beginning. Um, and the, this last album, Um, it kind of goes to what we were talking about, like carving out your own space as a band and like, what are you contributing? Um, -hmm. and what makes you, what brings people to the ice cream shop? Um, with, with this last album, I did some of that. Uh, and I was, I really focused on having like kind of almost more of like a unique concept to how we, how we wrote and like the lyrics and how we approached like, like just the art of it. Um, and then after that, there was actually really interesting because there was uh, that the, the kind of turning point for me was we did I did a interview um, with a writer for HM and she uh, she wrote the whole thing and I kind of talked to her vaguely because I had like vague ideas about what I was doing with it because it's very conceptual and I kind of had vague ideas about like what I was getting at and then so she took all that and actually like uh, synthesized it in a way that I had never really conceptualized. Um, and then that actually re like kind of like reinvigorated and kind of almost like caused me to reassess. Like, I was like, Oh snap. I hadn't even conceptualized of my own ideas. And this is the kind of cool, the thing that I find is really cool about art. And I know we had mentioned this before we even got into the the podcast, but, um, I feel like the art should have, it should be open-ended. Like my kind of my philosophy on art is that like art, if, if art, uh, if what you're doing is telling somebody what they ought to believe, then you're just doing propaganda. Mm. Uh, my, my, it's my condition that art, yeah, art should create more questions than it answers. Um, and it should allow someone to like, cause I mean, humans, so much of what we do, we don't, we don't, <clears throat> we don't really think about it, but so much of what we do is subconscious and it's stuff that we can't really necessarily even process. Um, and that's kind of how I come to music is like, well, I, the things I'm talking about here are the stuff that I can't necessarily I can't necessarily process myself. And so, you know, that's the thing about like music is like, it's a very, um, when you're listening to a piece of music, you're, you're having an emotional experience, right? But it's not necessarily like you put it into words, right? You can't necessarily articulate it, but there's something going on inside your mind that is, that is, that is profound, that is creating something that uh, could possibly potentially be life-changing. And it has no, it has no um, fixed, kind of like there's no word for it there's no you know I, I can't like uh like you know there's no physicality to it and all that kind of stuff and, but it allows you to kind of almost like 
understand the world in more of a sublime sense um, and like kind of approach uh, the world through through the the kind of abstract and through the the ambiguous um, and so I think that's the the power of it so so all that uh, is to say I was it's, it's interesting because that's kind of where uh, the past this past album and then the new one I'm writing like I've kind of really just pressed into that um, like I'm like hey like I and this is kind of knowing myself kind of thing you know it's like I, I'm not like I don't necessarily care as much like I like the sound that we've developed um, and I like that like everyone's kind of on the same page there so I now I've learned to like trust others in the band to do some of that uh, without me having to feel like I need to be involved with it and, and control it um, cause I'm like, Hey, I like what you, and then when we first started, there was like, people would bring ideas and stuff. They didn't understand like, Oh, this is fourth tellers music. Uh, and so they'd bring ideas. It's like, well, that just doesn't fit. Like not everybody agrees on that being interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, but now we've kind of come to the point where like, we all kind of have this kind of like vague understanding of like, what is fourth teller and what isn't. And we can hear something like somebody can write something and we're like, dude, that's just not fourth teller. That's not us. It doesn't fit with anything we've done. You know, uh, it doesn't fit with the vibe that we're trying to create. And, you know, so being able to trust in that uh, has really allowed me uh, and then, you know, other people doing um, more um, hands-on things like booking and all that kind of stuff has allowed me to really push into like the conceptual space, which I've pressed into that beyond anything that I thought I was even like capable of. Um, and so it's, it's, it's cool. And what I'm getting at to answer your question um, is that, so I've, I've really been passionate about that and really pressing into that. And that's been the space where I like, I know I can uh, contribute very effectively. Um, but it's funny, the last, the last few tours we've gone on, um, like I've been on the road and you can ask the other guys, like on the road, like I'm literally miserable. I don't know what it is. And it's like just my own personal stuff. And it's not like miserable. And it's weird because it's not like miserable. I want to go home. It's like, I'm miserable but this is what I'm doing. And it's not anything about the touring that's bad. And it's funny because I look back on these tours and I remember them fondly, but I know <laughs> for a fact when I was there, I was miserable. Um, and I've, you know, I've, you can ask the guys, like I've mostly like when it's on tour or when I'm on tour, I'm like, I kind of just need my space. Like, and I've always kind of been like that. Um, I've always kind of been the, the loner who just like puts his headphones on. I played hockey for years. And I was the guy who just sit on the bus by himself, sit in the locker room by himself, just earbuds in. Like, I didn't, I was like, I don't care to engage with any of you right now. Like I need my own space. Mm -hmm. um, and I've always kind of been that way. And I'm, I'm very much like individual uh, like relationships. And so I'm way better when it comes to like one-on-one. -on -one. So the times where I have one-on-one -on -one with like certain people from the band, and this goes back to, this goes to the interacting with people in the band. Um, usually it's like, I like to kind of get away and just have one-on-one -on -one conversations with guys from the band. Cause that's my space. Like the whole group dynamic is like, I can do it, but it like, it's not where I, like, I can't recuperate in that space. That's not where I get mm -hmm. my energy, you know? So being yeah. able to, um, <clears throat> being able to separate and the guys have been really accommodating on that. Like, Hey, I'm mostly just going to be on my own. I'll play the music and you know, I'll do what I need to do. But like, unless like I come to you on like an individual basis, like it's probably going to be like, you know, me just kind of in my own space or whatever, well, um, it, reading or writing or whatever it is. It's, it's interesting to me that you would use the word miserable. Um, but if you, if you could unpack that, is it, 
is it like a weight more than it's actually a discomfort or or is miserable fair because you just feel like your skin's crawling i i'm really interested by that because personally i feel like i have this responsibility and i'm to a place where i feel like i have the stasis of what that means for me but i remember for a time there was there was a lot of it where i had this massive amount of energy for I'm fucking this up. Right. Do you, do you feel, do you feel like it's a skin crawling kind of miserable or is it more of like you're on your last set of bench press and you're like, I need to do this. I want to do this, but I don't know that I can. Uh, no, I would say it's more of like a, a skin crawling. It's, it's kind of like this just being unsettled. Um, and being, because um, I'm very much like a homebody. Like I like to be near, like what I consider home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that can shift and change depending on where I'm at. But like I'm very, I'm very uneasy. That I would say that's it. It's like just okay, uneasy no, all the time. Can't settle my ass down. Um, that kind of stuff. But it's it's so weird because like, and that comes goes back to the interaction thing that we were talking about with other band members. Like I kind of told myself like. The, the before we went on a, we did a month-long tour with mother sound um <clears throat> and before i went on that tour because like i i was very much before that like when I, was playing, I was kind of the one kind of like taking the asshole position kind of like driving the hey there's got to be some like there's got to be structure and it can't just be like just chaos all the time because then we're not going to get anything done um you know so i kind of had that and and there was there was time like there's things where it has helped and there's like certain uh standards on tour that we have that kind of came from that uh that uh time frame um and that that help us like be able to stay productive and be able to stay like uh just moving forward as a band uh but then like i kind of as in a personal sense was kind of like i don't like because some of that came down to me just like taking me be me being miserable or my own personal stuff mm-hmm. and then putting that on others. Um, and so I think uh, I, that, that on that tour, I was like, I don't really care like how miserable I am. Like I didn't even like perceive how miserable I was going to get. Uh, but I was like, um, I'm like, no matter what, what I get, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to be, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have contention. I'm not going to have like, uh, I'm going to have opinions, but I'm going to keep it. Cause I'm one of the kind of person where it's like, I do get opinionated. And if I have an opinion and like, I just fight tooth and nail for it. But if I self to like, I'm not going to have an opinion on this. I can like just step back and, and take it easy and just go with the flow. And so that's what I decided to do uh, in terms of personal interaction was, you know what I like, there's enough people who have opinions and there's enough people who are, are making good decisions for the band that I trust so, you know, I'm just going to, I'm not going to have any of my own opinions um, because I know that when I have my own opinions, like I get miserable and then I make other people miserable. And so I decided to kind of step mine back to, because I could trust the other dudes in the band to make good decisions. I'm like, I'm just going to let them make decisions. Cause like, I know like I could contribute my own stuff, but like it would just add to, to, a, to the fray in a way that wasn't necessarily productive. Um, you know, so that the, uh, Cause you're, yeah. Cause you're asking about like how the, the interaction with other guys and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's kind of like, for me, it was a conscious decision to like, um, you know, I'm going to, uh, almost like 
to some extent allow myself to like like allow others to kind of like press forward into things and me just kind of you know go with the flow as opposed to me like just being dead set on certain opinions or whatever you know so i think that's kind of um answers the you know that's what i was getting at answering the question that you're having or you're asking Perfect. about like how that dictates how i interact with others or whatever so now i think it's probably really valuable to everyone around you even though they don't necessarily understand it working that you 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 do the thing the things that you do to remove yourself from it because that you know the dynamic in the van can can become toxic very easily and whether people admit it or not it it can you know it can rob everyone of their energy of their peace of of all those things and so that you do that for them you're probably having a guy like you in the band that understands that I think makes, you know, you guys are light years ahead of a lot of guys. Yeah. I will say that's something that I try to talk about a lot here is about that dynamic between one another. Like, can you be friends? Can you be business partners? How are you having the conversations? Are you coming to resolution with things? Because you just don't want things to pin up. You don't want things to bottle up. You've got to be able to work through the things and have confrontation and have good confrontation mm. because confrontation itself is not bad by any means. Absolutely. It's just like having an argument is not bad. It's good to be able to do those things and be able to uh, resolve them and, and work it out with one another. So that's something that well, we yeah. try to do a lot in the band is like yeah. come to an end with the conversation and actually yeah. walk away as friends. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah. And that's a, that's an important life lesson. There's actually, there's uh, somebody had sent me something. Uh, it was, it was like a, a book on uh, marriage. There was like a certain passage and they were talking about certain like, habits that certain people have in certain relationships um and it was talking about how um like the statistics for pe people uh marriages working out and the statistics were not um gear were not uh situated or like suggested towards who don't fight what it was the people who whose marriages uh are successful uh, are the people who can fight no matter how like bloody it gets but know how to resolve it like that's yeah. the that's the thing that will determine whether or not a marriage will stay together and i think that the same thing applies to a, a band a business partnership a friendship it's like it's not about whether or not you fight uh it really comes down to how do you resolve it like are both of you willing to like have like express your opinions um, maybe see that, you know, had, there's going to be some damage in there, some fallout, but like, how do you resolve the fallout? Are you willing to come back and be like, are you willing to reconcile? Are you willing to say, you know, what, here was the mistakes that I made in this. Here's the things I'm still convicted of. Like, I'm not going to give up on these. Uh, but here's the things I can flex on. And here's the, the places where I know I misstepped and I'm sorry for that. And, you know, them, you know, kind of reciprocate. And then you guys apologize and move forward, uh, and move forward, uh, in a better way move forward in a more productive way, move forward in a way where you both understand each other better for having had that experience, you know? And I think that applies across <clears throat> like, uh, like all relationships uh, in and out of a band, you know, just friendships. Uh, and, and, and I think that it's like, you know, that's something we've lost uh, as a culture uh, is the ability to have those conversations, disagree, and then, uh, you know, come back together and say, you know, here's why I made mistakes and here's where I need to improve. And here's the things that like, I, I'm not flexing on maybe one day, mm -hmm. 
but you know, but be able to come to that, that actual resolution as opposed to what well, we just like fake it and get along with each other. Cause I've seen yeah. bands do that too. And that never works out because eventually it blows up and boom, they're done. You know, yep. I think that's, I think that's one of the things that we've seen a lot in fourth teller ourselves is like, if we have a disagreement with one another and all of a sudden it seems to get a little hostile or really mad at each other, it's like, hold on. Uh, is this what you meant? And then they go, no, that's not what I meant. Oh, complete misinterpretation. Maybe someone said something with words they should have used differently. Maybe someone interpreted it differently because of their upbringing, because of something they experienced. So it's like really important to reflect and be able to say, okay, is this what oh, you dear. meant? Is this what you meant? Uh, because if not, then it completely changes the argument. Dude, you're, you're getting into, to me, my favorite part about being a tour musician is, is this ideological space, you know, like the stuff Tom was saying to me, that's the glory of iron sharpening iron. And, and moreover, I kind of said some of this stuff before we started rolling, but the dynamic of that is why I hate the internet, specifically <laughs> arguing on the internet. And the reason why is because yeah. And, and I've spent a lot of time trying to distill down why I hate it so much. And, and the, the reality that I am fixated on, at least at the moment, is like this. If perception is reality, when you're using a medium that does not require you to sit in the presence of the people that you're having the argument with, your body responds to the stress of the moment. But it's not human because it's completely your programming yeah. alone. However... Mm -hmm if yeah. like Tom and I disagree about something and we're sitting at a table, the behavior that we both have to accomplish to have the conversation, to not get in a brawl, to behave with respect, there's all these checks that us attempting to have dialogue instead of a bar fight, it informs a lot <laughs> of other ideas that to me they're just so valuable like you said the thing you know that's ultimately describing we're adult men i'm 34 i have three decades of filters developed to to disseminate information i have three decades of lenses microscopically focused in to you know to send my brain what i see when i see it but if you pull, pull those ideas out macro, you're still stuck in perception as reality. I'm limited by my experience. I'm limited by my vantage. And so the moment that I hunker down and the only thing that exists is what I see, I'm lost. And that's what we do naturally as humans because our base programming is survival. And so we protect yep. ourselves because vulnerability feels so dangerous. And so undoubtedly being the person who writes the lyrics and not being the lead singer or, you know, there's, there's so many things I can imagine as a dynamic, but when you sit down with another person and you allow them to tell you how they disagree, how they think your ideas are harmful, how they're articulating, you know, them being upset with you, there's there's a wisdom that that requires just to sit down and really listen and then yeah the ability to sort it out like i probably told you guys some section of the story when we were out uh, especially since you guys all brought your wives with you 
But like my wife and I fight all the time and can fight about literally anything. Now, when I say fight, it's because most people get really nervous when they first meet us because we can disagree and, and talk passionately about that disagreement, but be fine. Because I know, like what I said about my wife in college, like I know she's vetted most of what she thinks. And if I know that she's been lazy with an idea, I take a baseball bat to it. And she does the same thing to me. And, and the value that that's brought to us is we're usually discussing things that we're invested in the way that we think about it. And we accept simultaneously that if we have not invested the energy, then the other person ripping it to shreds is deserved. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that in, in band members, when you, when you can develop that kind of rapport, you think of your development as people and how that directly correlates to the deep things that you're able to call to as a unit instead of, you know, some bands are one guy's sort of the brain trust and everybody else, you know, builds the Megazord around it. But then sometimes it's Voltron and there's, I'm so sorry that I'm a nerd in these cartoons, but sometimes you're Voltron and it's like, you need, you need all the different pieces to, you know, to make yourselves battle ready. And, Oh Sleeper has been, and I've been really fortunate. Every band I've played in, I feel like has really offered me a lot. And and I would I would credit myself. I think that did, trying to be a student put me in a position to receive these things. But I, I feel like also you see the reality that everybody has has a value that they bring to a situation. Um, it's it's been transforming and and O Sleeper specifically I I remember in 2005 you know and I I found the video for We Are the Archers online maybe that wasn't the year but I watched the video probably 10 times in a row I'd never heard anything like it I loved it so much I loved the high scream there's so much energy like it just was I was like fuck man this is what I want to do and so right, there's yeah. been there's there's been something really really otherworldly to me about getting this opportunity because of that. You know, I remember meeting Micah. They played a venue in Austin called the Red Seven. Uh, my little brother, a friend, and I were waiting to see Inner Shikari and Skite's airplane, but that was a late show, and I just happened to notice Lucas pushing his eight ten into this venue. I was like, "Yo, are you guys playing?" And they're like, "Yeah." And I watched him at this outside stage. And they were, they were fucking perfect. And I remember going to Mike after, and I was like, dude, you guys, you guys like took the Norma Jean torch. Like this is the next step from bless the martyr, kiss the child. You know, I'm an idiot 20 year old, but that's what I thought. I heard the music and I was like, yo, this is, this is like taking me to the next place. And I remember being 16 and my friend showing me bless the martyr, kiss the child. And I remember having this moment that was like, this is me. Like, this is what inside right. my head sounds like. And I'm so yeah. thankful that I found it. And so, you know, you fast forward 17, 18 years, and, and I'm playing music with those guys that they, like, made me believe in it. And, right. and they trust me. 
and they allow me to create with them. And, you know, that's just my story, but, but I've found that the value of that trust you were describing that you have in other people, I, I would venture with, with, with all of the, all of the faith that I could have that even if they don't necessarily articulate it at this moment, there's something about having that camaraderie that makes you believe you can do things that you don't believe you can without it. Yeah. And, and I think that in turn, you know, you asked about like when guys are done touring and stuff, I've seen so many times people being done touring and they go home and they do the most phenomenal things because I, I really genuinely believe that that when you're the only one that can do it and you do it and then you go home and, and you're in another setting, you having that, that grit just sets you apart from everybody else. Oh, yeah. And, and I think that that's, and it's not, you know, it's not even being a musician, but it's really going and consistently kneeling before all these other people. And people think like, oh, you're on stage, like you're a cool guy. There's all this. I mean, that that's a very kind thing to think about when you think about music. But when I think of playing a show, I think of I'm kneeling before all these people with, you know, the most precious thing that I own. Yeah. And and I think that when you submit yourself to that and, and you're honest about the times when you squander it, you know, I, I, it's a little different now that I'm older, but I remember for the first, I don't know, for the first five years I toured, I wouldn't drink before we played. I wouldn't even necessarily drink after because I, I wanted the purity of that fear to, to be something that I was aware of. Like, I still, I won't eat, you know, three or four hours before we play because I want to go on stage hungry. And the reason mm. that I, that I do that is because the difference in my, the, how sharp I feel, there's no comparison. If I've just eaten and I'm comfortable, I play a completely different kind of show uh, than if I'm hungry. If kind I, of reminds you of the drive. Yeah. Well, and, the, the, I truly think, and maybe it's just my personality, but I truly think there's something really primal about it too. I know that getting to play shows has been therapy for me, you know, from the very beginning. I definitely heard that from many people for sure. When you think of, you know, again, my, my sort of natural response to life is to be pissed first. <laughs> and, and if you think of that, you know, yeah. finding a, especially as a young person, finding a, a genre that's, that's violence and it's like well this is yeah. where i this is where it's acceptable for me to turn into godzilla and <laughs> and be yeah. him and you know and, yeah. and destroy a city because no one gets hurt and and you're articulating simultaneously to others that i you know there is this space for you to feel these emotions out and you not be a danger to yourself or anybody else Oh yeah, dude. Seth, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I definitely think we need to do this again, uh, definitely at some point. <laughs> yeah, and I no, think I'd we have it. a lot more that we can bring to the table, all all three of us, and Justin included. I know that he had to go earlier, but um, 
Dude, Seth, I, I thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Wow. I think there's a lot of stuff that we have here that can help people continue to grow in what they're doing with their passion. No, I love it, man. Any Anytime, just hit me up. We'll do it. For sure. All right, thanks, Seth awesome. and Tom. We'll see you around. Yeah, dudes. Be safe, y'all. All right, this podcast is over. Thanks again for tuning in and following us and everything. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. Please let us know if you got something out of this podcast, if there's something that you would like to hear from us in the podcast or people that you think should be interviewed. We would love to know. And uh, thanks again, and we'll see you next time.